Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. And I don't have much to say. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't really script these things out, so I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll talk about the week. There hasn't been a whole lot going on in the writing world this week so far. It's I got my 13th story written for 13 weeks. Yeah, but I think I told you about that last time. So I'm keeping up with my uh, great challenge and uh, going strong. going to continue to go strong as I'm doing week 14 here. Um, aside from that, just cruising on through the week. Um, yeah. Nah, not much else going on. Um, doing a little bit of you know, assorted uh, business style stuff cleaning up some titles, revamping some things, getting that new release ready to go that I've been procrastinating on a little bit, frankly. Uh, but, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, but, yeah, pretty low-key week so far, and that's all right. So we'll just go straight into the next couple chapters of the Pericles Conspiracy. When last we left, Joe, Raul, and Malcolm, they were descending through the manhole to the storm sewers, and their quest to get away from the agents who were traveling and traveling, who were following them to arrest or more likely kill them. Let's see what happens next. The Pericles Conspiracy. Written by me. Read by me. Chapter 24. Under the World. The ladder went down a bit less than five meters before ending on a concrete landing. Joe stepped away from the ladder and shined the flashlight around. She stood in a small alcove off the main sewer tunnel. The tunnel itself was maybe four meters across and two and a half high. Narrow walkways ran along each side of it, with the main flowway for the stormwater in the center. Ever so often, Joe saw narrow spans crossing the flowway, allowing access across the tunnel for maintenance, no doubt. No one else was in sight. Not that she really expected there to be, but the NSA agents had been very savvy to date. Joe did not put it past them to think of looking in the storm sewers for their quarry. Speaking of which, all clear, she called up. Raoul made a few grumbling noises as he lowered himself down onto the ladder. Making the descent one-handed took him quite a bit longer than it had Joe. But once he got low enough that she could help him with his balance, things sped up. Hurry up, Malcolm called down from above. They're coming. In response, Raoul let go of the ladder and dropped the last meter to the ground. He stumbled as he landed, almost falling over onto his bad shoulder before Joe grabbed him. He flashed her a small grin of thanks, then slid out onto the walkway in the main tunnel. Above, Malcolm dropped the board they used to pry out the manhole cover into the tunnel. Then he quickly descended the ladder, pausing only to move the cover back into place. Turn out the flashlight, he whispered harshly when he reached the bottom. They might see the light through the holes in the cover. Joe complied, and they were plunged into blackness. Faint, almost imperceptible light streamed through the cover holes, but it did little to alleviate the gloom. The soft trickle of water flowing down the central flowway in the tunnel combined with the sudden pounding in Joe's heart 
made an uncomfortable harmony as they waited there in the black. Then other noises intruded on that harmony, jogging footsteps and voices muffled and almost inaudible from having to pass through the cover. The noises got louder, and Joe slowly found she was able to understand a little of what the voices were saying. Can't have just vanished, that sounded like Agent Moore. They didn't come out at my end, replied a deep male voice, probably belonging to her unwounded comrade. Bollocks, Agent Moore replied, and a metallic clang rang out as though two pieces of metal had struck each other. She sounded frustrated. Joe took a certain satisfaction in that. There was a long silence, then Agent Moore said, Keep looking. They have to be here somewhere. The voices gradually trailed away, growing impossible to understand again. Then, after several minutes, they faded completely. Joe let the breath she was holding go in a long exhalation and was comforted to hear Malcolm and Raoul do the same. Her eyes had adjusted to the faint light while they waited, and she could just make out Malcolm's features where he stood at the base of the ladder. Their eyes met and he nodded to her. She thought she saw a smile on his lips. When she flicked the flashlight back on, the smile was not present. All business, Malcolm stepped out of the alcove and looked both ways down the tunnel. After a moment's consideration, he turned left. This way, he said. Do you spend a lot of time in these sewers these days, Malcolm? Joe asked. He snorted. Hardly. But they crisscross the city and allow movement without being seen, so some of my acquaintances have taken to using them from time to time. If we can get to the areas they use, we ought to be able to make contact. And you're sure that's the right way? Malcolm looked back at her and shook his head. No. Flashlight? He held out his hand to her. Joe shrugged and passed the light over to him. If he was going to lead the way, he would need it more than she did. Malcolm accepted the light with another small nod, then set off down the tunnel in his brisk, quick walk. The flashlight's illumination quickly faded, leaving Raoul and Joe looking at each other in growing darkness. Raoul shrugged. Beats being up there, he said, with a gesture toward the ladder. That much was certain. Joe hurried to follow Malcolm and tried not to think about what might be lurking in the darkness beyond the light's glow. The next several hours were a nightmare. Not so much because of the oppressive darkness, though that was not pleasant, or the occasional sounds of scurrying animals, rats, Joe thought, but who knew, or the ubiquitous smell of pooling water and mildew, and other more foul scents that Joe managed through a Herculean force of will to not quite ignore. No, the worst part was not knowing where the hell she was. Joe could handle the others, but that ignorance aided her more and more as time went by. Even if she had climbed up a ladder and stuck her head out, Joe felt certain she would still have no idea at all. That ignorance left her helpless in Malcolm's hands, and it was just infuriating. She was not used to being helpless. The fact that, over the last week and a half, she had felt more helpless than in command certainly did not help matters. So Joe felt more than a little relief when, at the junction between two identical tunnels, and really they could have been any of the dozens of tunnels they had traipsed through all night, Malcolm stopped inside, his shoulders slumped in defeat. Forget it, Malcolm said, his voice thick with fatigue. We must have turned the wrong way. I'll never find them down here. Let's find a place to lay low and we can try again in the morning. Hell yeah, man, Raoul said as he pushed his way past Malcolm and Joe toward the nearby alcove and ladder. I've had enough of these stinking tunnels. Joe was inclined to agree about the tunnels, but where were they going now? Do you have a place in mind, Malcolm? He nodded. There are plenty of little motels that don't ask many questions and then aren't strict about checking IDs. That's mostly where I've been the last couple weeks. Since the raid, we can't trust any of the old safe houses. Joe frowned and nodded. That made sense. A few minutes later, Malcolm pushed the manhole cover back in place, and they surveyed their new surroundings. The street was free of traffic, 
and lined by just a few low, unlit buildings that were spaced well apart from each other. It was still night, but a faint glow to the east, beyond the mountains, announced Dawn's approach. They must have spent longer in the tunnels than Joe thought. Where the hell are we? Raoul asked. My guess is somewhere in the south side, Malcolm replied, past the spaceport. Great, Joe muttered. South of the spaceport, the neighborhoods became progressively less safe. Though law enforcement did their best, some of the neighborhoods have become overrun with gang activity in recent years. Most people who do not have to go there did not. There was nothing for it but to follow the plan, though, so they set off down the street. Three blocks down, they came upon a seedy-looking motel. Just as advertised, the proprietor did not look very hard at them or ask for their IDs. He simply accepted a few bills from Malcolm without comment and handed over an electronic room key. The room was tiny and smelled of a mixture of old trash, urine, and smoke. Two tiny beds stood against one wall and a couch, ratty and looking like it was barely able to hold together, sat beneath the room's lone window. In the back of the room, a counter with a sink was mounted to the wall, along with a standing-sized mirror. Adjacent to the sink was a door leading into a small bathroom. Joe winced, just looking around the place, but at least the bathroom appeared marginally clean. I've seen worse, Raoul said in a nonchalant tone, though Joe noted an expression of distaste on his face, too. I just hope the shower works, Joe replied. She felt covered in grime and sweat. It reminded her of the horrible few days she spent as the NSA's guest. She shuddered as the memories came back. No need to go there. A small pile of towels rested in a rack on the wall next to the sink. She picked one out, went into the bathroom, and turned on the shower water. Then she closed the bathroom door and proceeded to wash her cares away. Or at least, her dirt. She emerged from the shower several minutes later, feeling refreshed and at least slightly more human. The concept of putting on the same grimy clothes she had been wearing gave her pause, though. It flashed through her head that she should have planned things out a bit better. Somewhere in the back of her head she knew going into the encounter at the parquet that she would not go through with it. She should have listened to that part and packed a bag or something. Never mind the unrealistic logistics of it all, she spent several moments chastising herself before forcing herself to stop. She was just delaying putting those clothes back on and there was no choice in the matter. When she stepped out of the bathroom into the main room, Raoul was already curled up on one of the beds. He was fast asleep, though he murmured and wiggled from time to time. Once he groaned, probably from the pain in his arm. Malcolm sat on the couch, resting his chin on his fist and clearly fighting sleep. Seeing her, he gestured toward the second bed. Take the bed, Joe. I'm fine with the couch. Joe thought about protesting, but the couch truly was a rickety setup. At least the bed looked halfway comfortable. She sat down on the edge, facing Malcolm. Their eyes met, and they were silent for a moment. Malcolm looked tired, harried, but determined. Joe did not want to think about how she looked. She had avoided looking in the bathroom mirror for that very reason. It could not be good, though. The silence weighed on her, and she looked away, past Malcolm toward the window. What's the plan? Malcolm shrugged. That is the question, isn't it? His expression became severe, nearly a scowl. The organization has been disjointed since the raid. Joe felt a surge of guilt, even though she knew the raid was not her fault. All the same, Malcolm had lost friends, either to prison or to the morgue, the night that he had brought her to meet them. What do you think about that? Almost as if he was reading her mind, Malcolm added, People are not going to be happy that you're involved again, Joe. If this is going to work, I need to know everything that's going on with you. Joe swallowed. Malcolm, I didn't. He held up a hand and she fell silent. Frankly, Joe, after last night, I'm not sure how much I can trust you, and I know you. 
If you don't give me something to tell my people that will help them feel comfortable with you, he trailed off. What? Malcolm did scowl then. He took a deep breath and said, They may just decide to cut you loose. Let you take your chances on your own. Chapter 25 No Tell, Motel Malcolm's words hit Joe like a prizefighter's punch. She recoiled, almost feeling a pain in her gut as their impact landed home. He could not mean he would just cast her to the winds, not after she had... Joe looked back into Malcolm's eyes and felt a chill. No, he would not cut her loose. But his associates would feel no compunction about doing so. She was in almost as delicate a situation as when those aliens came aboard Pericles. One wrong move and it could all fall apart. But this time, there would be no getting out of it. She was sure about that. What do you want to know, Malcolm? Her voice sounded wooden, defeated to her ears. Everything. In a fit of snark, Joe was half-tempted to tell him about the time she cheated on her math test in third grade, but she knew better than that. All the same, she could not completely prevent a little smirk from twisting her lips. Malcolm raised an eyebrow. I'm serious, Joe. I know. I just had a random thought is all. She took a deep breath and nodded. It took a half hour or so to tell Malcolm about everything that had happened. She started with meeting Reynolds at La Chupacabra and ended at the parquet when she fought off to Stefano. Malcolm listened attentively, nodding at appropriate moments and affecting surprise, genuine, Joe was sure, several times. Finally, she came to the end, and he leaned back, gingerly, she noticed, against the back of the couch. I never believed you were on Gagarin, Malcolm said, but I didn't suspect. He shook his head and blew out a deep breath. I'm sorry you had to go through that, Joe. She blinked, surprised, stealing her thoughts for a moment. When she found her voice, she only managed to blurt out, What? Malcolm gave a little half-shrug. Do you think I could wish that on anyone? Joe shook her head, not trusting herself to speak again just yet. Malcolm smiled slightly. I suppose I can understand why you agreed to cooperate. Given the same choice, I can't say I would have done differently. He leaned forward again, resting his elbows on his knees as he looked intently into Joe's eyes. So why did you change your mind? The question hung in the air for a minute before Joe answered. That's the wrong question, Malcolm. His eyebrow quirked upward, but Joe continued before he could say something else. I did not change my mind. I simply allowed myself to accept the decision I made after you've dropped me off at home. She looked away from his piercing eyes toward the blank viz screen on the wall beside the beds. I could intellectually understand why Chandini and the others took the actions they did, but I knew in my heart it was not right. And once our new friends up there learn what happened... She pointed to the sky and left the thought unspoken. There would be hell to pay once the aliens found out what had been done to their helpless ones. Malcolm nodded. Fair enough. He stood then, his long limbs bearing him quickly from the couch and toward the door. Joe gave a start of surprise at the fact that he had moved as much from the rapidity of his activity. Where are you going? Out. Malcolm looked at her gravely. I need to make contact with my people, figure out where we can all meet to determine our next move. That can wait. You need to rest, too. He shook his head. I'm okay. And no, it can't. Malcolm smiled again. This time, his smile was more genuine. Warm. Get some rest, Joe. I'll be back in a few hours. Then he slipped out the door. Joe had more than half a mind to get up and follow him. The rest of her screamed out in outraged annoyance at being left in such an impotent position. But fatigue weighed down on her. She was going on two full days with only a few restless hours of sleep. The command decision-making part of her brain, honed through years of training and study, whispered to her that she was in no condition to be making good decisions right now, and she would need to be if she was to help Malcolm in this. 
Beyond that, she did not know any of the people he would have to contact, and if he was right, her presence, before he had a chance to smooth things over, might just make a tense situation untenable. All that flashed through her head in a few seconds. It hurt to admit it, not physically, but it hurt her ego. But the best thing to do was to let Malcolm deal with things for the moment, and to get some sleep while she could. Despite the objections of her ego, Joe felt a deep, relaxing satisfaction as she reclined on the bed. The mattress was lumpy, stiff, and probably half her age, but just then it seemed the most comfortable thing she had ever felt. She acknowledged the irony of that sentiment with a small inward smirk, then she drifted off. Joe awoke slowly. At first it did not register to her where she was. She was in a bed, and it was damned uncomfortable. But a bed where? She stretched, feeling her back pop slightly as she moved joints that had become stiff from the mattress's lumps. Then she sat up and looked around it and all came rushing back. The events of the previous night, their predicament with both the authorities and the underground, everything. It was almost enough to make her want to lie down again and go back to sleep. That thought seemed to generate aches of protest from her back and neck, though, so instead she stood up, slowly. She really was sore in the middle of her back. She must have slept wrong. These mattresses suck. The words were muffled, as though the speaker could not enunciate properly. Joe turned her head to see Raoul in the back of the room. He wore nothing but a towel wrapped around his waist, and he was brushing his teeth at the sink. He had more muscle tone than she would have thought, as scrawny as he was. Whatever points that might have won him vanished, though, beneath the weight of the ugly-as-sin tattoo that dominated the left side of his chest and upper abdomen. Really? A dragon? Could not come up with anything better than that? Joe shook her head and snorted out a half-laugh. The reflection of Raoul's eyes in the mirror met hers, and he grinned before spitting out a mouthful of toothpaste. Joe looked pointedly away. Where did you find a toothbrush? Raoul gargled some water before answering. The front desk has a few odds and ends for sale. Really? Joe was surprised. That was the sort of thing one would expect from a more upscale hotel, not a dive like this place. I know, right? Who would have thought? Raoul finished up at the sink and walked out into the room, where he stripped off his towel and bent over to pull his pants on. Joe turned her back on him. That was definitely something she did not need to see. Instead, she picked up the plasma pistol for where she left it on the nightstand and tucked it into her belt at the small of her back. So what's Robert's deal, Raoul asked. Or Malcolm? Which is it? He sounded curious, but his words also had a probing quality to them, as though he was hunting for some lever he could use to his advantage here. Joe rolled her eyes, but did not look back at him. Malcolm. Ah, there was a brief pause, punctuated by the ruffling of fabric. It's safe to turn around now. Slowly, with no small amount of trepidation, Joe turned back toward Raoul. Thankfully, he was true to his word, and almost dressed as he had been last night. He was lacking his shirt still, but at least he had his pants on. His expression was amused as he met her gaze again. I would not have figured you to be so shy, he said. Joe snorted. She did not need to answer that, so she just changed the subject. How's the arm? Raoul's amusement faded as he looked down at his arm, which hung limply at his side. Must have been a bitch to shower and get his pants on with the broken limb hampering things, but clearly the shirt was not going to happen without help. Hurts a bit less. I can move my fingers a little, but he gave a helpless little shrug that ended in a wince. Here, let me help you with that, Joe said. She stood and picked up his shirt. Getting Raoul into the shirt was a delicate operation that involved a lot of grunting and muttered curses. Joe winced sympathetically as she helped guide the broken arm into its sleeve, but Raoul managed to be at least slightly stoic about the whole thing. 
After the shirt was in place, Joe grabbed one of the bath towels and helped him create a makeshift sling. It was not much, but it would do until they were able to find some real medical attention for him. Although where that would come from, Joe had no idea. How did you get into this line of work, Raoul? He sniffed softly and shrugged. Which line of work is that? I don't normally do high-speed chases through the city, if you know what I mean. Joe just looked at him. After a moment, he lowered his gaze. Yeah. Well, I was never very good in school, you know. But I could tinker. And I knew computers. People just sort of started asking me to do little things here and there for them. Before long, it became a steady business. I see. Raoul shook his head, his eyes flashing with irritation. Joe must not have succeeded in keeping the disapproval out of her tone. Most of the stuff I do is legit. But sometimes someone like Robert, Malcolm, needs a little something extra. Pays a bit better, so I figure no harm, no foul, right? Raoul sighed, sank down onto his bed, and leaned forward, his eyes focusing on the floor. After last night, though, he shook his head. No way I can go back to legit work now. Joe winced. Another person hurt because of her secret. The numbers were beginning to add up. I'm sorry, she said softly. Raoul looked up, surprised. What you got to be sorry for? I knew what I was getting into as soon as Malcolm mentioned the tracker. He grinned again. Not the first time I've had to duck to avoid the long arm of the law. I'll be okay. I hope so, but this is... The doorknob rattled. Joe spun toward the door, her heart in her throat. Behind her, Raoul leapt to his feet. She could feel his tension almost as acutely as her own. Joe glanced around quickly and just as quickly ruled out flight. If it was the authorities at the door, there was no way they could make their escape. She flexed her hand around the grip of the plasma pistol and waited. The door opened, and Malcolm stepped into the room. Tension flooded out of Joe in a rush. She let out a breath she had not realized she was holding and took her hand off the weapon. Behind her, she heard Raoul blowing out a breath as well. Malcolm looked quizzically at the two of them. Expecting someone else? Just for a second, we thought you were the feds. Malcolm's eyebrow quirked upward. They don't know the idea I'm using. We're clean for the moment. He smiled, then kicked the door shut behind him. Only then did Joe notice he carried two large bags. She recognized the name on the side of them. The Rots, a high-end department store. Doing a little shopping? Malcolm nodded. You had to leave quickly. I figured you could use some clothes. Joe's eyes widened, and she grabbed the bags away from him. She pulled the contents out and spread them on the bed, her spirits rising higher every second. Two pairs of jeans, three t-shirts, two nicer collared shirts in subdued colors, a light leather jacket, socks, a pair of sneakers, those would be much better than the dress shoes she wore to the meet in the parquet, and undergarments, all in her size. Finally, down at the bottom of the bag were deodorant, lipstick and blush, a hairbrush, and soap. Real soap. Not the cheap crap cheap hotels throw in their bathrooms. She looked back at Malcolm, a surge of emotion welling up. Right then, she could have kissed him. Part of her mind recalled how good he was at it, all those years ago. She suppressed that thought ruthlessly, but not before she felt a little flush running through her. Thank you, she said, feeling it was a bit too little to say. Malcolm returned her smile with one of his own. I hope I remembered your size correctly. He settled down onto the couch and leaned back, weariness written all over him. I managed to make contact with my colleagues. They're sending a guy over to pick us up. He'll be here in half an hour. He glanced at Raoul and added, with the first aid kit. That should get you through until we can get you to a doctor. Raoul made a little half shrug, then sat down on the edge of his bed. Joe stood and grabbed fresh underwear, a pair of jeans, and a t-shirt, 
and was mildly annoyed to realize she was grinning, almost like a schoolgirl, as she did so. In that case, I'm going to go change. She paused, then grabbed the soap and deodorant as well. And take another shower. Okay, get a breather at the motel. And looks like we're going to hook up with the underground people here soon. So, hey, out of the frying pan, at least for the moment. We'll see what they have to say to Joe, though. I mean, seems like Malcolm smoothed things over and they're not going to cast her adrift yet. But, hey, you never can tell. Let's find out. You'll have to come back next week. Listen to the next couple chapters here on Storytime with Michael Kingswood. Of course, if you don't want to wait, you're too anxious, having too much fun, buy the book. Go to my website, buy it from me. I get more money that way. MichaelKingswood.com or SSNStorytelling.com. You can find it both those places. You can also go to Amazon and all the other... It's in every bookstore everywhere. And you can get it from there. I just make more money if you come for me. And of course, if you don't want to do that, come to the website, become a supporting sponsor of the podcast. There's all kinds of reward tiers that I have set up associated with that. And that works too for setting money. <sighs> Money's good. But yeah, um, not too much else to say on this one for this week. It's been, uh, I was always fun writing this story and fun reading it. I got the same book funnel promotions going on that I have told you about the last few times. Um, the Mighty Men of Fiction, my little uh, sword and sorcery dungeon delving story called The Necromancer's Lair. Giving that one away in exchange for email addresses. That's good. And of course the uh, sci-fi fantasy clean series extravaganza where I put Glimmervale and Passing the Night up there at discounts uh, just as a sales experiment. You can go by Book Funnel and butt through the links that I'll put in the show notes and you can check those out and uh, yeah, show some love there. Uh, let's see, what else is going on? Not a whole lot. Uh, like I said, come back next week for the next episode. Next week also will be another story from The Infinite Bard. Uh, so I'll be pimping that next week and then the week not this next week but the infinite bard after this two weeks from now is going to be one of my stories so that'll be even cooler and we'll pimp that heck out of that one um yeah let me know what you think come by the website drop me an email you can come by the facebook page i'm almost never there or you can leave a comment on here on the podcast or on the video streams wherever it is you're watching it and uh, I'll be happy to hear from you and get back at you because it's always fun to, to have conversations with the boss. All right, sounds like some munchkins are fighting or something, so I better sign off and go stop people from busting heads. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Come back next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. 
Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>